Good morning. You have a substitute teacher today. My name is Marshall Shelley, and I'm delighted to be able to fill in. This past week, Pastor Ray and the staff were in Washington, D.C. for some continuing education and doing some work with our partners at International Justice Mission. And so they asked me if I would fill in today, and I'm happy to do that. This Sunday is amazing. I was here last Sunday, and now again here this Sunday, and I don't know if you if you're like me, but I, I noticed as you look outside, there is a significant difference in the way it looked last Sunday and today. Uh, last Sunday, there were just a few buds on the trees. Now there are leaves on the trees. It's a sign of, it's a sign of spring. Um, last week, the uh, NHL and the NBA playoffs had not started. This week, they have, and guess what? Blackhawks and Bulls fans were both in the playoffs. That's a sign of spring. Um, <laughs> I checked the Major League Baseball standings this morning, and the Cubs are one game out of first place. It must be spring. (laughs) So uh, spring is the time of uh, new hopes, new birth, and uh, literally in our family, uh, new birth birth happened literally. Um, Four weeks ago, we got a call at 11.45 at night, and uh, our daughter out in Colorado said, Mom, Dad, the baby's on the way. Come quick. And, uh, you know, we had, we had plans to fly out a couple days later, but the baby was coming now. And uh, so I checked my app and said, first flight out is 5.45 a.m. We'll be on it. Don't let the baby get there until we arrive. <laughs> well, the baby didn't wait. Um, it, uh, little Chase arrived when we were uh, in the air, but two and a half hours later, we were holding him. And... Uh, here is a picture of our marvel of the wonder of new birth. And there is, uh, there is Chase. And yes, a grandpa will go to great lengths to be able to show pictures of his grandkids. Uh, Susan and I have four grandkids, and these are the three that live in Colorado. And uh, like many of you, the experience of new birth really gets you thinking about uh, what life is all about and this concept of new birth that the, uh, the Bible talks about uh, in the passage today. Uh, you know, at Parkview, Susan and I have been uh, here for 16 years now, and one of the things I most appreciate about Ray's, Pastor Ray's preaching is how he makes the teachings of the Bible so clear and persuasive. He comes back again and again to show that God's grace is available, that belief in God is reasonable, that you don't have to turn off your brain in order to live a life of faith, and there are good reasons to accept Christ and to choose to follow him. And I think uh, that patterns much of Jesus's preaching too. He, he would uh, talk to people, and many times he would tell them to make a decision and follow me. He did that to uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. He invited Matthew to leave his job in collections and become a disciple, and Matthew made that decision. And each of these individuals made a clear uh, directional decision. They steered their life in the direction that uh, Jesus was pointing. And for many of us, that's also our experience. We find ourselves seeking God and trying to follow after him. Uh, James, James chapter 4 describes this, uh, this reality. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that is, uh, that is one of the truths in Scripture. But it's interesting that uh, that's not true of everybody. Uh, sometimes in Scripture, God tells some, steer yourself toward me. Other times, he tells others, something's happening in you that you're not seeking at all, but it's it's, it's steering you to me. 
Jesus doesn't tell everyone he meets to follow me. In fact, the conversation we're going to look at in the Bible passage today is one that goes in a completely different direction. Jesus tells someone not what he has to do, but what he has to let happen to him. And so uh, it's in John chapter 3. It's uh, page 1063 in the Bibles in the chair racks, or if you've got a Bible on your cell phone, I'd invite you to uh, look it up, uh, and I'd invite you to read ahead, anticipate where this, uh, where this talk is going. But uh, let's, let's read this passage. I will read it. Uh, it will be on the screens here. John, John chapter 3, verse 1, and notice what Jesus tells this guy to do. It's not, follow me. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, a Pharisee, some of you, may, some of you know, but a Pharisee was just a, a part of a particular group in uh, first century um, Israel that took the Bible very seriously. They believed that the Bible was to be studied and it was to be obeyed as far as, uh, as, far as humanly possible. They took it very seriously. But this man, Nicodemus, was not only a Pharisee, he was on the ruling council. It was something called the Sanhedrin. There were 70 of them, 70 men uh, who were part of what in our society would be called a senate. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. It's interesting uh, why Nicodemus came at night. We could speculate, uh, was he just not wanting this to be a highly public conversation? Did he not want hangers-on eavesdropping? Did he, uh, maybe he just wanted an uninterrupted time with Jesus, and uh, that was the only time. Don't know, but uh, he starts off with a compliment. And, uh, you know, we might be tempted to uh, think that these are just uh, gracious words, but truth be told, they were, for a Pharisee, very controversial words. He said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. Well, not all Pharisees believed that. In fact, there were a lot of them that believed that Jesus was not from God, that he was a false teacher, and that uh, the, the signs and wonders that he was doing were being done by the power of the devil. But uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, we, at least you and I, both know that what, uh, what you're doing comes from the power of God. Well, you'd think that uh, Jesus would say, well, thank you very much for that compliment. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus replied, How can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, that's, uh, there's some head-scratching there, and we're going to unpack uh, those, uh, those words. But I'm fascinated that Jesus did not say, Nicodemus, leave your position in the Sanhedrin and follow me. No, he talked about something that had to happen to Nicodemus. You have to be born again. Let's take a look, closer look at those verses to see what Jesus was talking about and why Nicodemus was uh, confused. We might think that Nicodemus was confused because he didn't understand metaphor. 
that he just took Jesus' words about being born again as literally, I've got to crawl back into the womb and come out a second time. I don't think that was Nicodemus's problem. Nicodemus was a bright guy. He was a teacher of the Hebrew Bible, and there are tons of metaphors in the Old Testament that uh, describe God's relationship to human beings. For instance, the prophet Ezekiel wrote God's words, and Nicodemus would have known these words, probably had these memorized. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols, God says. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I don't think Nicodemus read that passage and said, heart of stone, you think that's flint or is that granite? No, Nicodemus recognized that that's a metaphor for a cold, hard heart that's unable to sense and to respond to the living God. Then he, but uh, it's interesting that uh, Ezekiel gets even more graphic with this metaphor and takes it, uh, takes it even further. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1, He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, when God asks you in front of a valley of dry bones whether or not those bones can live, what's the answer? Well, very good. I, I, if you say, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's quite a step of faith because if God said, okay, you want to do something about that, you would be incapable of doing anything about that. Um, if you said no, however, that's equally dangerous because uh, telling God what can and can't happen is a dangerous thing. So what is, how does Ezekiel respond? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know whether or not these bones can live. Good answer. <laughs> then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone, hip bone connected to the thigh bone, thigh bone connected to the knee bone, knee bone connected to the shin bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. They'd been reassembled, but not reanimated. Then he said, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army." Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. People who in Ezekiel's day had been scattered, were in exile, and God was using a metaphor to say, you know what? Those scattered, dry bones of Israel, they're going to be not only reassembled, they're going to be reanimated. The breath of life is going to come back in them. They're going to become a vital, living uh, body again. And... uh, Nicodemus had probably taught this passage. He understood metaphor, 
He understood that uh, figurative language is sometimes the only way to describe spiritual realities. So um, when Nicodemus was talking about uh, being born again, I think his question wasn't, do I really have to crawl back in the womb? That's, that, that's not going to happen. I think he was saying, where is a mother that can provide this kind of experience? How can I experience a, a whole, new, whole new birth? Well, Jesus answers his question with an even more puzzling reply. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, what those of us who read English don't see in this English translation of Jesus' words is that Jesus is having some fun with Nicodemus. He's engaging in wordplay. And that's something I happen to know a little bit about. You know, in my day job, I'm a journalist, I'm an editor. And when you work with words, they also become your playthings. And uh, you learn to have some fun with them. And as an editor, I think, uh, looking at, uh, at this, I'm, uh, I'm seeing some fun with this. When I was out in Colorado four weeks ago, my job, you know, I couldn't do too much with the newborn little Chase, but uh, my job was to uh, watch the older two siblings. And Amelia, who's three and a half, is just at that delightful stage where she's beginning to understand that words can have more than one meaning. You know, I, t I tried to teach her this. I, I take it on myself. I am her wordplay tutor. And so I tried knock-knock jokes. She wasn't getting knock-knock jokes. And I realize a lot of people don't appreciate knock-knock jokes. Um, but I, did, I started writing silly riddles. And I connected. The first joke that Amelia actually laughed at was this one. What do you call a bear with no teeth? A gummy bear. <laughs> she laughed. And I thought, there's hope for the next generation. <laughs> because we all know that gummy can mean two things. Gummy is her, favorite, is her favorite candy, and gummy is what your mouth is when you have no teeth. And uh, she realized that at the same time, gummy bear meant two things simultaneously. Oh, the beauty, the beauty of it for a word person like me. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a moment to treasure. Well, what was even more fun is that uh, the next week when we, after we came back, uh, Amelia's mom uh, sent me a text of her with a silly riddle for me. Why did the cow cross the road to go to a movie? <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I think Jesus also enjoyed wordplay, and he's got a twinkle in his eye as he's replying to Nicodemus. He doesn't use the word gummy bears, but uh, the Bible was written in Greek, and his elastic word is the word pneuma. Now, in English, we understand pneuma from pneumonia, pneumatic, things that have to do with air or gas, compressed air, that sort of thing. But in, uh, in Jesus' day, pneuma meant four things at the same time. It could mean air or wind or breath or spirit. It, meant any, it could mean any of those things. It could mean all of those things. And here's what Jesus said to Nicodemus with the wordplay left in. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but pneuma gives birth to pneuma.
Don't be surprised that I say you must be born again. The pneuma blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the pneuma. Well, what does this mean? What is Jesus suggesting to Nicodemus? Well, number one, being born again doesn't mean a do-over. It doesn't mean a fresh start. It means a different kind of birth. It means being born of the Spirit, born of the pneuma. You need to be born of the Spirit, Jesus said. You can't just be physically born. Something else has to be alive in you besides your flesh and blood body. Being born of the Spirit is qualitatively different from being born of the flesh. Well, Jesus also suggests that there may be some other uh, correlations to air, wind, breath that also inform what it means to be born of the Spirit. One of them is this. The pneuma is unseen, but it's very, very real. Pneuma is needed for life, at least spiritual life, and uh, just as air is needed for physical life. Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? I remember uh, the first time that ever happened to me as a kid. I was climbing over a fence. I jumped down, landed wrong, and suddenly I learned later what was happening. Your diaphragm sort of seizes, and uh, you can't breathe in, you can't breathe out. And the first time that happened, I absolutely panicked. What do you do? You can't breathe in, you can't breathe out. You know that you're not going to last long if you can't do either of those things. Fortunately, with time, the diaphragm relaxed, you're able to get a breath, and close call. I never knew how how precious air was, the pneuma. Or perhaps you've been swimming, and you get caught underwater, and uh, you have to stay down longer than you anticipated. What's the first thing on your mind? How do I get to the surface to get a lung full of pneuma? It is uh, absolutely essential for life. Well, In the spiritual realm, I think Jesus is suggesting the spirit, that pneuma, is just as invisible and just as essential. Secondly, the pneuma is rather unpredictable. Jesus talks about it blowing, and you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. But wherever you're directed, God can sometimes direct you in unexpected and unpredictable places. A friend of mine was arrested a while back after a couple of DUIs. And you might think that God's Spirit wouldn't have much to do with that, and you would be wrong. After a couple of days in jail, my friend was bored silly. He was able to go into the common room just a couple of hours a day, but most of the time he was in his cell. No TV, no cell phones, no newspapers, no magazines, no, no, nothing. And uh, you know, sitting there for hours on end were beginning to drive him nuts. He noticed that uh, the guy in the next cell had, had a couple of books. He asked him if he could borrow, borrow something to read. The guy slipped him a copy of a book called The Purpose Driven Life. The only problem was most of the pages were missing. But it was better than nothing. So he started reading, and, uh, all, and, and all of a sudden, he told me later, he says, I realized this book was talking exactly about me. It's a book about Life is not about you, it's about about the fact that you were created for a greater purpose, a purpose to serve God and to serve people that God has placed in your life. He said, all I had in my cell were five pieces of paper and a little stub of a pencil. 
He said, I started taking notes. I filled all five pieces of paper, front and back, writing as small as I could with notes about what I was seeing in this book about how it was talking about me. Something new was being born in my friend there in a cell, thanks to the Spirit of God. He wasn't particularly seeking God. God birthed something in him in that moment. In that cell and through that book, God's Spirit was born in his life. And after he got out, he wound up asking Christ to be the one to direct his life, and something had happened to him, and he was born of the Spirit. That's something else that the the Spirit does. Another thing the pneuma does, the pneuma makes you conscious of another life at work in yours. During my daughter's pregnancy, uh, she said one of the weirdest parts was feeling something moving around inside her, knowing that another life was living within her body. I said, yeah, that's weird. I'm glad that's on your job description and not mine. But that's a pretty good description of what happens when you've been born not just of flesh, but of the spirit as well. You become aware that there's another life alive within you. It's the pneuma. You see things, you feel things, you recognize things that you were oblivious to before. My friend Anthony's story is an illustration of this. Anthony left home as soon as he graduated from high school and never looked back. He did not have a good relationship with his parents, and his dad's drinking had made home life pretty bad. Anthony joined the military, became an officer, and served in Afghanistan in charge of a reconnaissance company. He was two of those boots on the ground that we hear so much about. After 13 months, he returned to the U.S., and over the course of time, he met a young woman who'd been raised in the church, and before too long, they were married with a baby on the way. Becoming a husband and father in a fairly short period of time was an eye-opener to him. He told me he'd stayed away from anything religious in the army, but with a family, a new spirit was, was being birthed in him. In his conversations with his wife, he realized the need to provide a foundation in his family that was in his new family that was different from the family that he'd been raised in. He didn't want to, he didn't want a family like he'd had. He wanted something new, and so he was, uh, Searching, and he, and he thought perhaps faith might have something to do with that. He asked me if um, I would mentor him in the faith, and I was honored to do that. Then he said something that was uh, interesting to me. He said, this, this whole faith thing is new to me. He says, I've been in the Army for seven years, and except for a chaplain or two, I've never met a real Christian. I said, Anthony, I think that's about to change. There's an old saying that seeing is believing, But the opposite is also true. Sometimes believing is the prerequisite to seeing. Keep your eyes open. I think you're going to start seeing things that you never saw before. Sure enough, within a couple of weeks, he was telling me of other guys he was meeting who also had a faith. Previously, he'd been blind to what he was now able to see. But the clearest evidence of the work of the Numa came on a training exercise in the deep woods in the southeast United States. He was training with some other special units, and they weren't able to communicate with family or friends for a month. But one afternoon, I got a phone call, and it was uh, Anthony. I said, uh, boy, I didn't expect to hear from you. He said, well, they let us have our phones for just an hour or so, but I had to let you, let you know what happened. I said, tell me. He said, well, we're out, on this, uh, we're out on this exercise, and we're going pretty hard all day, but after, uh, after we eat at night, we've got, a, we've got an hour or so before we... Uh, before we go to sleep. So uh, I just asked one of my buddies that uh, you know, I thought had some faith if uh, he'd like to get together and maybe we'd read a couple of verses out of the Bible and just 
talk about anything that comes to mind. I said, oh, that's wonderful. So uh, I said, how'd it go? He said, well, first night it was just him and me. But he said, the, the second night, there were, three, there were three of us. And uh, the next night, there were five. And I said, where's this going? He said, well, you know, Friday night, there were 29 guys out of 100. I said, that's incredible. He said, well, let me tell you what happened with the 29 guys. You remember, I introduced you to Dolph Lundgren. Dolph was one of these big special ops guys who looks like the, uh, he's uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, big, looks like the villain in one of the Rocky movies. So the, the guys called him Dolph Lundgren. And uh, so Dolph said, I've got something to say. Yeah, Dolph? He said, uh, the chaplain's going to be here tomorrow. He said, uh, says, I'm going to get baptized, and I want you guys to be my witnesses because uh, you guys are going to be the ones that uh, can determine whether or not I'm living this faith that I'm, uh, I'm professing with this baptism. I said, that's incredible. And Anthony said, one of the other guys said, what Dolph said, me too. And uh, Anthony said, there were five of us that uh, decided to do that. I said, us? Anthony said, yeah. He said, uh, I knew I needed to do that too. He says, the guys have been giving me grief because I'd you know, married, a, married a wife who was religious and they were just thinking that I was uh, on her coattails in this whole faith thing. But I told him I wanted to uh, get baptized because I want you to see that this is, uh, this is my faith and I want you to hold me to it. I said, that is amazing. Where in the world did you get baptized in the woods of the southeast U.S.? He said, well, there's a leech-infested pond down, downhill from uh, where uh, we were bivouacked and... Uh, he said, so uh, we went down there. I said, wasn't that nasty? He said, only for the chaplain. The rest of the guys were in and out pretty fast. <laughs> I realized something had been birthed in this young man that uh, was partly his seeking, but partly had been done to him. That uh, something was born that was beyond, beyond understanding. Well, this raises a question about being born of the pneuma. How does being born of the Spirit happen? Number one, it's God's work. Sometimes it comes from a person seeking God and deciding to follow Him and drawing near to God. God does draw near to you. That's absolutely true. But other times, God births something in a person even if they aren't consciously seeking Him. And then that person just responds to the new life that they're aware of and nurtures that, uh, that, that thing that's being birthed. Either way, the most quoted verse in the Bible summarizes what Jesus was communicating to Nicodemus and to us. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in, trusts, goes with the Spirit, acts on what you are now aware of, shall not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. Starts with believing in Jesus, trusting at whatever level you're capable of. At first, it may be just being aware that Jesus lived and died on Good Friday and rose on Easter 2,000 years ago. Then you may become aware that he's, if he's resurrected, he's still alive and that his ongoing presence is in your life. And then you awaken to ways that his spirit is nudging you, directing, bringing things into your life living in him and responding to him living in you. That is, that is the birthing process of the pneuma. 
And this was the rebirth that Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, this is what has to happen to you. You've been really good at living the letter of the law. You've got to be born in the Spirit. You've, you've spent your lifetime learning the Bible, teaching the Bible, trying to live it, but it's all, it's all effort. There's no Spirit there. Open your life to the Spirit of the law, not just the letter of it. Well, did it work in Nicodemus' life? We don't know for sure. But we do know that in John chapter 7, Nicodemus speaks up in defense of Jesus when the other members of the Sanhedrin were trying to condemn him. And in John chapter 19, we read about two members of the Sanhedrin who stepped forward to honor Jesus at the worst possible moment, when he had been crucified, when his followers were considered outlaws. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. He's also a member of the Sanhedrin. But secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. I've got to believe at some level... Nicodemus was responding to the Spirit. The pneuma was at work. He stepped up to honor Jesus after his crucifixion and uh, acting, on that, acting on that Spirit nudge is what you and I are called to do as well. We need to trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, the source of eternal salvation. We need to trust him to redeem your life right now. Jesus says that uh, to those who love him, to tr those who trust him, he is working for good in all the situations in our life. Not necessarily working for our pleasure, working for our good. That's, that too is an act of trust. Even though Jesus didn't use the words born again for anyone but Nicodemus, that experience is one that describes well what all of us, I think, at some point experience, that there's something at work in my life that is not me. I'm aware of not, there's more to life than my preferences, than my inclinations, than my prejudices, than my ingrained attitudes, than my wish list. God sometimes is doing something in me that is beyond me. And responding to that is responding to a new birth, the birth of the pneuma. I admire uh, a writer named Joe Bailey who once described the radical transformation of rebirth by asking us to imagine two twins in the womb and the challenge of trying to describe to one another what the world outside the womb is like. Imagine a conversation between two twins in the womb. If I were a twin in the womb, Joseph Bailey writes, I doubt that I could prove the existence of earth to my mate. He would probably object that the idea of an earth beyond the womb is ridiculous, that the womb was the only earth we'd ever know. If I tried to explain that earthlings live in a greatly expanded environment and breathe pneuma, not just water, he would only be skeptical. After all, a fetus lives in water. Who could imagine its being able to live in a universe of pneuma? To him, such a trans transition would seem impossible. It would take birth to prove the earth's existence to a fetus. A little pain, a dark tunnel, a gasp of air, and then the world outside. 
green grass, a mother's lap, lakes, the ocean, horses. How could a fetus imagine a horse? Rainbows, walking, running, surfing, ice skating, with enough room that you don't have to shove, and a whole universe beyond. Your part in being born again, whether born of the Spirit or born someday into eternity, being reborn in the very presence of God, is to believe and trust in Jesus and to respond to the pneuma that he has placed within. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are able to do for us what we are unable to do for ourselves, and that is bring to life something within us. Bring to life the life of the Spirit. Bring to life a relationship with you that uh, many times we are uh, unaware of, not even seeking. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us and the way that uh, you conceive, deliver, and raise the life of the Spirit in our bodies. Amen. Someone has said that the, uh, there's a great paradox in our relationship with God. We can only experience God's love when we recognize how unworthy we are of it. And uh, I think simply that ability to appreciate that paradox is an indicator of life. If you recognize there's some truth to that, God has placed that, uh, that's, a, that's a wisp of the Spirit. That's a wisp of the, uh, the pneuma. We're going to have uh, people down here, uh, prayer teams down here, if you'd like uh, someone to pray with to be able to uh, nurture that life. Uh, I'd, I'd welcome uh, you to do that. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Father God, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will touch each person in this room as we leave, as we go through life this week. May we be aware of your Spirit in us, working through us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, things that we are unable to see and hear without your presence. All this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.